0: Hello, all you lady sword fighters, scholarly lairds, and insecure squires, and welcome to episode 29 of A Bookish Affair, where we two Shannons will be your fellow travelers through the world of happily ever after. I'm Shani, she's Shannon, and we love romance.
1: We are the co-founders of the Lake Oswego Public Library's Romance Club, A Bookish Affair, We read and discuss diverse and inclusive love stories every second Sunday of the month at the library when it's open and on Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you are interested in joining a virtual discussion group, or perhaps you have feedback or suggestions for us for the club or the podcast, or maybe you just want to say hello, check out the show notes for our emails and the link to our Bookish Affair page on LOPL.org.
0: We'd like to begin by acknowledging the ancestral, traditional, and unceded territory of the Kalapuya, Cowlitz, Multnomah, and Clackamas peoples, and all the other unnamed tribes on which we live, work, and record this podcast with gratitude. All right, folks, uh, for the first time ever on A Bookish Affair, the podcast, we have a content warning for you, our listeners. So uh, we wanted to give you a heads up that in this episode, we are going to be discussing the topic of consent um while we will as usual keep our language and word choices appropriate for an all ages family friendly podcast we are also going to be describing situations that may be upsetting for some listeners um we will also be discussing uh bridgerton the show and some of the books that it is based on um so if you have not seen it yet in full uh there are there are spoilers ahead uh so if you do not want to know who lady whistledown is you probably wanna pause now. So for either of those reasons, um, just please listen with caution and take care of
1: yourself. Thank you, Shandy, for doing that, for for presenting the content warning. Um, so folks, remember when we got all excited about the new Netflix series, Bridgerton? We were both riveted and invested and then we got to episode six titled swish and for me this episode changed everything for me and i dare say not in a good way so i think i might have badgered shandy um until she she uh she agreed with me but no we both we actually both felt it was important to discuss this so um, Shandy, do you want to give us some context, maybe set us up for this conversation?
0: Well, yes, um, I would love to do that. But first, let me also say that there was no badgering. Um, and you know, the last time we talked about Bridgerton on the podcast, I think it was our first episode of 2021. And we were so, we were just so excited about it. We were loving it. We were watching it with Anya. We were having a blast you know, we were just, it's so good. We're going to talk about it forever. The outfits, the dancing, the pop music. And it was so, you know, it was just, it was, it, we thought that it was just going to be a wonderful viewing experience that we would, you know, just talk about on Into the Future um, forever and probably rewatch many times. And then we got to episode six and we did not feel in good conscience that we could sort of leave that Bridgerton discussion where we left it, which is to say, Oh my gosh, everybody watched this show. It's amazing. Um, Because when we got to episode six, we found ourselves just sort of, you know, it, it turned everything on its head. And as you said, not in a good way, and really changed the way we felt about the show. And so we felt, we kind of felt like it would be doing a disservice to Our listeners not to come back and talk about this. Um, So, okay. So I'm going to lay out some backstory for you and I will try to keep this short. Um, So I I will just, I will confine it to things that you need to know to understand uh, what happens at the episode or at the, at the end of episode six. So Simon Bassett, Duke of Hastings, uh, incredibly handsome. Um, (laughs) That was all right. That was not strictly necessary to this. To this context but it is something that i feel you might want to know about the duke of hastings anyway so he is sort of a reluctant duke who has um you know he suffered an an a lifetime of abuse neglect and trauma perpetrated by his father whose greatest you know th- the thing that was most important to his father was the continuation of the line was the fact that his family um had uh, that you know that he had been elevated to the position of duke, and he wanted that to go on forever. Um, so, because Simon was so traumatized by um, this abuse, neglect, and trauma um, perpetrated by his father in the uh, you know in this sort of uh, all to the uh, all to the end of advancing the line, Simon makes a bow to his father on his deathbed. Um, Not the kind of vow that you make to somebody on their deathbed to make them feel better, but he vows to his father never to have children or to continue the line so that his father dies knowing um, that his dream is dying. Um, So fast forward a few years to the London season. Uh, Daphne Bridgerton is the most sought after debutante. um, And Daphne and Simon form this sort of friendship based on they kind of do this fake relationship thing but they they form this real this real friendship and they're smitten with each other um, but simon still feels he cannot marry because it would be unfair to his wife to saddle her with a husband who does not want to have children um so of course they can't resist each other because they're two beautiful people there's a scandalous garden smooch and a duel with daphne's brother and that was all very ridiculous but um so Daphne agrees, so you know, so Daphne agrees to marry Simon, even after he tells her that he can't have children. I this is, you know, this is significant. He says he can't have children, not he won't have children. Um, and he says, you know, if you marry me, you will never be a mother. So this thing that you've dreamed of and prepared for your entire life, that will never happen um, to you, for you. So Daphne interprets this as Simon being unable rather than unwilling to father children, um, but, you know, they marry, they have many spicy encounters because, of course, they're both beautiful people who can't resist each other's charms. And they opt for a form of birth control very commonly used in historical romance. Um, and side note, it makes me crazy that this never seems to fail in historical romance, <laughs> whereas I assume it failed all the time uh, in history and continues to fail when used in real life. Um, the Rakus by Scarlett Peckham is one of the only romances I can think of where there's just a complete and total birth control fail. Um, and I really appreciate how, um, you know, like, that was just such a real thing for people <laughs> this time. Anyway, okay, back to Bridgerton. So Daphne goes into her marriage with zero knowledge about the birds and the bees. Like, she is utterly and completely clueless. Um, she eventually figures out that Simon is orchestrating their encounters in such a way that pregnancy is unlikely, uh, if not impossible. Um, So Daphne feels betrayed and angry that he was untruthful, feels that he took advantage of her innocence and ignorance. And it's important to note, I think, that we are in agreement with Daphne up until this point.
1: Yeah, it's true. Up to this point, we can sympathize with her because you know, unknowingly, like, I don't, I don't think he, like, he knows how innocent she is, but I don't know to the extent that she just has zero concept of anything that happens in the matrimonial bed. Um, So unknowingly, he has taken advantage of her, of her innocence and, and, and ignorance, as you say.
0: The way I read it is that he doesn't, like, he does not know the extent or the depth or the breadth of her ignorance of how babies are made he he does not know he does not know uh that when she tried to ask her mother what to prepare herself for her mother uh just started rambling um and did not give her any useful information so here's the thing like they never actually talk about it and it's true that simon doesn't make an effort to find out what she does or doesn't know so at this point they are both guilty of something and that is one of the cardinal sins of romance fiction which is why don't you people talk to each other?
1: (laughs) Oh, and that's an excellent point. They don't know and they don't ask because communication, y'all, like. (laughs) Right, I mean,
0: why would you have it? Where's the fun in that? Um, So then, so then this is where we get into, this is where Bridgerton goes someplace that we cannot follow. Um, Daphne makes an unforgivable choice. So she is so angry and so uh, upset and sort of self-righteous because she, is, she, has, uh, she has talked to her lady's maid um, who has explained to her the whole process and the mechanics and everything. And Daphne realizes that, um, that, that Simon has been, again, orchestrating these encounters so that, um, so that, that she will not get pregnant. Um, so rather than it being a oh no si- how terrible for Simon he can't father children, it's a oh Simon is intentionally not, um, is intentionally not making this happen. So here's here's where it gets unforgivable. Daphne takes physical control of their next encounter, um, makes it impossible for Simon to proceed, uh, you know, in his usual way, thereby increasing the likelihood of pregnancy and also violating his his physical and bodily autonomy in a non-consensual act.
1: Yeah, very much non-consensual. So it's important to note that Bridgerton is a TV series for adults with mature themes, mature scenes and themes. Um, it is based on a romance novel by Julia Quinn called The Duke and I which was originally published about 20 years ago in in the year 2000. This scenario is part of the original storyline. And in the book, the scene unfolds in a similar manner, um, but that Simon is intoxicated. Um, In the TV show, he's not intoxicated. Um, It's still a non-consensual act. um, So there's definitely some key differences Um, And how this violation is played out in the book and in the show, neither of them are good. And all of them are, you know, violating boundaries, left, right, up, down. Uh, We often talk about romance and consent. Um, It's actually a a huge part of romance novels, of, you know, of, you know, any romance, of intimate relationships, of being vulnerable, of being held in the safe space. And in romance, um, consent has come a long way. And at the time that the Duke and I was originally written, uh, consent really wasn't quite on the radar as it is now. So, you know, in the TV show, um, while, while Simon doesn't say no explicitly, he looks alarmed. I believe he says wait or something like that. Um, and it is, and it's very clear by his his motions that he's not on board with the direction Daphne has steered this boat. So there you go. There goes the whole like safe space right away.
0: Right, exactly. And it's very clear. And I I believe you're correct. I believe he does not say the word no, but it is it is abundantly clear both to the viewer and to Daphne that, that this is a, yeah, this is, this is a violation. This is like, she is doing something to him that he does not want to be done. So, yeah. And I I mean, I think, and going back a moment to the book, it's very true that explicit consent has become so much more a part of romance um, in, in the years since those, since, since the Duke and I um, was published. Um, I think it's also worth noting that it's been clear to many readers from the start, AKA in the year 2000, um, that Daphne's action is wrong and deplorable and a violation. And like the scene is famous among Quinn fans. And I should say, I have not read the book. Um, th- this scene is, I believe Quinn fans refer to it as the scene, um, which is how I'm going to refer to it in Bridgerton. Uh, forever after and I have to imagine that there were a lot of people who were hoping that it would be dealt with very differently in the show as in maybe not just removing the part where simon was intoxicated but perhaps removing the non-consensual act altogether right I I mean just a thought you know we watched that scene and I sort of knew it was coming because I had read some spoilers um and you and anya because i i told you to sort of like be aware that something was going to happen at the end of that episode uh but i i was sort of the only one who knew what the vaguely what the nature of it was um you know and after we watched that scene you you and i and anya and we were we were obviously in different rooms but you know we're just kind of like sitting there looking at each other on our on the video chat like trying to figure out how to talk about it or what on earth the showrunners wanted us to be thinking or feeling right now. And for me, you know, my mind was racing with the question I immediately jumped to, like, how could the showrunners have given the characters a meaningful conflict without anyone violating anyone else's bodily autonomy? Why not reject and repudiate that scene in the novel rather than just sort of tweaking it you know i I, you know i have ideas like they could have had a big fight and daphne could have accused simon of betraying her lying to her taking advantage of her and you know they could have had a real conversation and both of them willingly changed their behavior and earning each other's forgiveness before moving forward with their marriage i feel like that would have been enough of a conflict or if they had wanted to go really dark what if they had daphne consider the action that she ultimately took in the book and the show but to realize in time how wrong that action would be and examine examine herself and examine you know and, and and have that have that moment of oh my gosh i was so angry and so upset and betrayed that i almost did this unforgivable thing and then they both have to make amends and they both have to talk and they both have to move forward um, with their relationship i mean there are there are ways this could have been done and the the show did not make any of those choices
1: the, you're right i mean there's so many ways to handle this without it leading to this moment that honestly as a viewer was traumatic for me so the creator's decision not to use this as a teachable moment, but doing what they did instead, which was leaving it and never talking about it again. Like, and, and also in some ways, kind of presenting her violation as both a reasonable option and a valid excuse for her behavior and for her feelings. To me, it almost puts the fault back on the victim. Like, here we are victim blaming and shaming. Like, we're justifying taking away Simon's personal power. Like, I just, it just felt dangerous, you know? And and also, can we discuss that this is a white woman doing this to a black man? Like, again, there's so many messages, you know, being conveyed in this, in this, scene that if you don't deal with it, who knows how it gets interpreted and I I was I was both shocked. I was frankly traumatized. <laughs> I like sat and like, you know, after we sat like just completely stunned, you know, for a while after that episode ended, I was then texting with my sister and I was just like, I, I can't, I don't know what to do with this. That's, there was a lot to process, but like, I don't feel like it's my job. Like the, the show's creative, like they should have come up with something to support, uh, to support their viewers and their, their characters after such a traumatic scene.
0: Yeah. I've I, you know, I've I've seen of the many articles that we've read about this, many of them said, you know, if you were going to go there and I'm not saying you should have gone there because uh, it would be better if you hadn't. But how about a content warning? Um, because there were many viewers who were, you know, who were shocked, who were disappointed, who were frankly, yeah, who who felt traumatized by uh by by this scene i i remember what your face looked like on our video chat and you know you were it did not put it did not it it does not put the viewer in a good place um you know this would be uh, like and and this would be this would be a shocking and deeply immoral and disturbing act no matter which party perpetrated it so let's be very clear on that but I thought you know back to back to what you just said about um, you know about a white woman perpetrating this on a black man. Um, Jessica Pride has a really thoughtful article we will link to it in the show notes um, on Book riot about the the trauma faced by black characters in this adaptation of of these novels in Bridgerton and she you know she anticipates some people brushing this scene off by saying, well you know Daphne's a very petite woman she's very small and slender Simon is a big tall man and if he really wanted to stop her he could have I mean like first of all let me just say no in big capital letters and
1: uh, <laughs> you're making a lot it's, of again <laughs> again it's relying on the relying on this like no means no business like it doesn't work that way people
0: it you know and and Jessica Pride says in her in her article, and this is a quote, um, she says, I wonder what they would have said about small white women enslavers and their big black captives. So really good point there. Um, I you know, let's also be clear that you know, not only does the show make this decision to go there and you know, no content warnings, anything, this this is essentially ignored in the remaining two episodes of the season. The incident is never addressed or discussed again. Um, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Shannon, but I think Lady Whistledown's voiceover says something about, you know, can the end ever justify the means? Imagine that in Julie Andrews's voice because she does Lady Whistledown's
1: voice. it's um, so cryptic and it's, it just felt like it was so poorly timed it felt irresponsible
0: yeah and it's you know and that you know that voiceover is intercut with scenes of other characters having their own sort of crises and you know if the showrunners think that that counts as addressing the incident that's frankly insulting um the show never goes forward to address it directly or specifically fortunately I mean, this is a very small measure of relief to me. It does not result in a pregnancy um, because all I could think as it was going forward was what if this is like, what if this is how they have a baby? And then how, how, what will that child's life be like? And what will their marriage be like? And how could Simon ever look at that child and not remember what Daphne did to him? Anyway, no pregnancy results small measure of relief but you know that it it does not make up in any way for the fact that this is a shocking betrayal a a violation that is never again referred to or addressed in the show so we've got a a romantic partner violating another person's trust and physical boundaries and safety with the added layer of the perpetrator being white and the victim being black and it is never spoken of again except to imply that it's bad that Simon lied to Daphne about his ability to have children. As you say, irresponsible.
1: So irresponsible. So here we are, listeners. I really wanted to bring this up. What is consent? Because we're well beyond no means no. That doesn't, that doesn't work anymore. So I consulted some very useful books. They were mostly children's and young adult uh, books, as it were and we'll include these titles in the show notes. Um, So in preparation for this um, conversation, I actually found that um, reading children's and young adult books to be the most helpful. So here are some definitions that I think are perfect. So Rachel Bryan, who wrote consent for kids, boundaries, respect, and being in charge of you, defines consent this way. Consent means to agree. You get to set your boundaries. A boundary is a limit. Your boundaries are aligned between what you're comfortable with and what you are not comfortable with. Very concise. Uh, Cheryl M. Bradshaw writes that, all partners need to have full capacity to consent and their consent needs to be freely given and affirmative. One final one in a quick and easy guide to consent by Isabella Rotman. Consent is defined as an explicitly communicated, reversible, mutual agreement made when all parties are capable of making that decision. Consent may or may not be consent may or may not be verbal, but it has to be unambiguous and voluntary.
0: Very good definitions uh books for youth. Um maybe. <laughs> Imagine had the showrunners of Bridgerton consulted any of these texts before. Did we
1: send them to him? <laughs> I think we should send them to What's his name? Simon, who's the showrunner? Oh,
0: Chris something or other. Um
1: but I do love the fact that um Isabella Rotman st- um states that consent can be reversible like mm-hmm. even in the act you can say no and you know even if it's not verbal it has to be a, volu- a, a voluntary and unambiguous con- you know consent and that wasn't the case in this scene and that is very clear to the viewer
0: and also and also to Daphne um you know it begins as a consensual encounter uh and then you know a- as you say consent must be must be reversible it must be uh you know unambiguous voluntary you know all these uh yeah it is it like simon was withdrawing consent and daphne did ignore him yeah daphne ignored him um i thought so this was a. I thought this was a really interesting. Um, there's a Vox article about Bridgerton uh, that talked a lot about consent. I thought it was really interesting. Um, and and to to be clear, the the article unequivocally condemns Daphne's action. Um, but they also ask a really interesting question, which is, is Daphne able to consent to their relationship in the first place, because Simon isn't truthful about can't have children versus won't have children. So because she doesn't have all the necessary information when she agrees to marry him, does informed consent exist in their relationship? Um, Again, in no way, this this is kind of a, a side question and it has no real bearing on what she ultimately does, but I thought it was a really interesting point and another layer of consent that's not as obvious and not something that I was thinking about at all. Um, you know, the other violation, the, you know, the violation is so egregious. Um, but this article makes the really interesting point of, you know, is, is Daphne, you know, without all the information, can Daphne truly consent to being in this relationship in the first place?
1: No, and, and unfortunately, her action sort of, oh, like, eclipses yeah. this really <laughs> interesting aspect of informed consent. You know, knowing Simon's intentions and understanding the difference between can't and won't is it is an important difference. So I'm not suggesting suggesting that she shouldn't be angry. And I, 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 I imagine that she would feel betrayed and like he lied to her. There's there's no question that she would feel very strongly about that, because that that is an important differentiation. She so yeah, she does have the right to feel how she feels as well as, you know, uh, needs to understand the situation in full to really give herself to that relationship. So that is a really important piece. However, so I, so in, in that sense, no, I'm not sure she did fully consent, you know, because he did kind of make this assumption that she understood what he meant. But, We make choices. One choice would have been to like confront somebody with words. I believe it's called communication. (laughs) (laughs) However, she took it to a different level and she made a choice that ultimately removed his physical autonomy to violate his boundaries in anger and in spite. And as you said above, the show's creators could have used this as a character development opportunity, um, as an opportunity to deepen their desire for one another. This seemed like the perfect moment for the show's creators to set up a scenario that takes them from this place where they're, they're so hurt by one another, but that ultimately they build that trust up, trust. Um, rather than forcing one into a submissive kind of understanding like this this is problematic because not only does it perpetuate a disrespect for boundaries which he's made the preference clear even if it's like what you don't want to hear like can't won't well, doesn't matter bottom line he doesn't want children so that's a disrespect for like what what he wants it also just depicts an un, an unhealthy relationship and one that would rather forgive or forget, and then forget forgive, just forget it. <laughs> then deal with, then deal with this difficult and uncomfortable situation. Like, that's just poor and irresponsible modeling. I I do know people who didn't see this scene as problematic. Or maybe they weren't, They or maybe they felt uncomfortable, but they just went along with the drama, you know, which I suppose that's fine. I, I wish on some level I could have done that, but like, that doesn't mean that this is not a problem, you know, because if the roles were reversed, there would be absolutely no question that Simon was violating Daphne's personal autonomy and boundaries. Oh, I can't When he does tell her, when she finally asks and he does tell her his reasonings, she scoffs. Like, I just can't even begin to articulate how further self-righteous and disrespectful and unsympathetic this character is when she then rejects him in a vulnerable and traumatic moment for him. Oh my gosh. So apparently I'm on a rig. So, But I do want to go back to something that you said earlier about setting scenes up to where these characters talk to one another to get clear on motivation and intention. And in an article about writing scenes of consent and romance, which is an article that you found, Shannon, and I loved it. K.J. Charles says, and I quote, Ongoing affirmative consent sounds desperately buzzwordy, but what we're actually talking about here is the ebb and flow of a relationship, the development of trust and honesty, deep knowledge and mutual understanding, shared pleasures, which is really what romance novels are meant to do. And I love this because again, this is an opportunity to get to know the characters, to see their relationship grow, to see them build trust, uh, to build trust and a sense of security with each other. To me, it's these scenes that build a foundation for their happily ever after. And it's in those scenes that we come to believe in this relationship and we really root for it. I did not feel that I had that with Simon. And Daphne, and I never felt convinced of their feelings for one another, even though they're sitting there like I burn for you. I'm like, really, what? What's burning? Like the candle over there? <laughs> sure, but like I don't, I don't feel the passion, folks. But like, so between like that lack of convincing intimacy between them, and and then finally with the steam, they're they're happily ever after. Felt contrived and it really felt based on a power differential
0: you know consent in in romance is so much more than you know I think people read it this sort of like oh my gosh you know do I have to Does character a have to say can I kiss you every time they want to kiss character b and just on and on for until the end of time like it's so much more than just you know can I kiss you when the characters are about to embark on something, and and KJ Charles' article talks about this so beautifully with tons of examples from her own work, I will link to that in the show notes. But you should know um, that KJ Charles writes real spicy, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she uses a lot of examples from her own work. Um, but she is such a brilliant writer and such a um, such a clever and thoughtful and emotional writer of dialogue and interactions between people I mean it is if you don't mind a little spicy language and a few spicy interactions it is one of the best things I've ever read about consent it's it's brilliant but you know there's and there are so many authors who write consent beautifully um Alicia Rye comes to mind. Rebecca Weatherspoon comes to mind. Zan West, who I, whose work I've come to very recently, but those um, uh, Zan West's books are so. There is so much talking in those books, and so much just sort of laying out. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I'm not comfortable with. It it models for the real world, <laughs> like, um, what a healthy relationship. Should be So it's, you know, it's modeling those healthy relationships, those healthy interactions, but it's also such a powerful tool for building trust and love between your characters. I mean, you know, you're there's so much you can accomplish, a writer can accomplish when when they write consent. Well, um, it's, it, it's really it, it really gives such a, a depth and em, emotional resonance to those books and those scenes and those characters. and um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of author- authors see it as, as an opportunity. Um, so not only does it not only is it important to address and models proper behavior and care in the real world, but um, it's just these wonderful ways to show how these characters care about each other. Wow,, it, yeah. anyway, that was. <laughs> but it was changed there but that was so it yeah the please do read that kj charles article if you think you can handle the spice Uh, (laughs) so okay so so back to bridgerton shannon you know it's now been officially renewed for a second season which we all knew was going to happen it was just a matter of time before they officially did it do you think you'll watch i mean I, I will say that there are still a number of characters in Bridgerton uh, outside of the Daphne Simon um, morass uh, that that I do, st- you know, I, I am still invested in Penelope Featherington. I'm still invested in Lady Danbury. Um, I still want to know what the Queen is up to and, um, you know, how Marina's life is going to go forward. And, it, it, you know, and the, the, it's not that there aren't, um, you know, it's not that I don't have strong feelings about the actions, some of the other actions, some of the other t- characters have taken. You know, Penelope, uh, you know, an enormous breach of trust perpetrated by Penelope on a very vulnerable character. She is the one, here's the, here's the spoiler, uh, here's the next big spoiler, which is that she is the one who reveals um, that Marina reveals to the ton that marina is pregnant out of wedlock um but you know i can i don't i i I know i can never forgive daphne i know i cannot be invested in her and simon's storyline again not only because she did something unforgivable but also because the show never presented it as such
1: so true it's interesting because the show really just does not follow up on these like Egregious breaches of trust and betrayal betrayals. Like I suppose Colin Bridg- Bridgerton calling out Marina, but yeah, the super traumatic events of certain characters, not least Daphne's attack on the Duke, they just don't get addressed. So, like, if it's all for drama's sake, I think, I mean, honest, my honest opinion is that's dangerous and irresponsible. Um so I I no longer trust the show's creators. I just don't. So I don't know Shandy, I don't I don't think I'm invested in the show's vision um for these for, for this adaptation. Like I don't have faith in the showrunners. I don't have faith in Daphne and Simon's Happily Ever After. And frankly, I don't like Daphne enough. I don't really actually like the Bridgertons enough. They're these like, <laughs> hi am mighty white people who like to go around telling people how to live and they're just a mess. And I'm just like, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't think I like them enough to try and stick it out. So I hate to say it, but I probably will not continue to watch honestly.
0: And, like, I want to believe. <laughs> I want to believe I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm putting on my David Duchovny hat here, but, uh, like, I want to believe <laughs> that the show's creators will listen to the concerns that have been raised by viewers and fans and, you know, and take them to heart going forward because, because these viewers and these fans deserve better. Um, but the show the show's creators are still not going to be be able to unring the bell of what happened in season one. You know, this is also probably a discussion for a different day, but I also really recommend Jessica Pride's article um, about the trauma experienced by the black characters in season one. Like that is well worth a read and very thought provoking. Um, I don't know. Imagine if this show actually followed through on the promises it makes to its viewers of happily ever afters for all. Imagine if they did that. I mean, if that means having some difficult conversations and addressing tough questions, then so be it. Like we're romance readers, we can handle it.
1: I mean, that would be revolutionary. Like, oh, hey, we're, we're including all of our print and online sources in our show notes, right? Like the Jessica Pride piece.
0: You bet we are. Right. absolutely that will be in the show notes as well all of the books that you consulted um to teach us about consent um and some other favorite um some other favorite i've got a couple of picture books and board books that i really uh that i really love um that talk about consent in a really clever and and helpful way i think so yes we'll have all the all the books all the article links all the everything in the show notes as always oh shannon what you know i know that when we were putting this episode together i was just sort of overcome by waves of disappointment uh, all over again like <laughs> you know a few weeks have gone by since we watched that fateful episode um but talking about it again just really uh, just really brought it all back and kind of just, you know, put me in a in a place of, of real disappointment. So have you been reading anything to recover from that disappointment that I assume you were also feeling?
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I honestly, when we just first started talking about wanting to discuss this, and we were like, okay, well, we need to really be mindful of our language. I really struggled with that. Um, because I... I do get very angry when talking about this episode. Um, I, I, like, like I said, I was texting with my sister afterwards. I was getting fired up. I think when we were talking about it, I was getting fired up. Like, I just didn't know how to talk about it. And that's why we we really took our time. But uh, yeah, I, I suppose that that actually figuring out how to talk about this and sort of you know, really coming to this place of like, why are we talking about this? And um, that really contributed to my reading slump. I have to say, because it's, this is such a difficult conversation, but it's a necessary conversation. But um, once I finally got wrapped my brain about how we were going to talk about it, I finally read uh, book four of the decade series the art of love and i read the first beverly jenkins book night song so i cannot wait to talk about theirs there's so much to talk about um but yeah like i think researching for this episode reading a lot about consent and i'll be honest i have learned a lot uh, which is awesome. It just goes to show that no matter our age, no matter what we think we know, there's always something to learn. Um, I've also been reading in preparation of our Lunar New Year episode in a couple of weeks. So, yeah. Lots of reading and researching for topics at hand or to come. And I'm really enjoying it, actually. So what else? Yeah, that's... Uh, that's about it. It's <laughs> researching for our show. What about you? What are you reading?
0: Well, I I don't know. Well, I, okay. So I just finished Wicked Passions by Nicola Davidson, who I talked about last week. Um, that's the second in her Highland Minaj series. Uh, so Lady Swordfighter. Yes. Scholarly Laird. Yes and a brawny yet insecure squire she does a really nice menage i have to say and she's so good at showing them all you know not just the sort of oh my gosh he's the handsomest thing i've ever seen or she's so beautiful or look at the way she moves with the sword you know i must smooch her whatever um like she's so good at showing them all falling in love with each other uh, i i really like that about her writing she just does that so well and she also um she portrays the court of james the fourth of scotland in this really really cool way like some, you know sometimes in historical romance the setting is is kind of window dressing especially in novellas and shorter ones but like here she manages to really humanize a monarch um in a way that not a lot of authors manage to i mean he's not just this sort of um you know this sort of king who just tells people to do stuff and then just sort of drives the plot forward. Um, like he, she gives him real depth and nuance. And I, I love seeing that. I and mean, he's, a, he, he's a, a very much a secondary character in this book, uh, but uh, but he's so, she, she really like respects those side characters. And she, um, you know, she treats them that way. I, anyway, I really, I really like that about her work. Um, I don't know, I'm kind of in a mood These days, we talked about slumps last week, and I kind of feel like I'm, especially a little bit with romance, like I have read, I've read 15 books so far this year, only eight of them have been romance. And that for me, that's a bit of a slump. And I don't mean the numbers themselves. I'm totally on track uh, to meet my Goodreads goal. Um, You know, I'm, I'm cool with the numbers, but the ratio is a little unusual for me. And I feel like it's part of that slump
1: have you ever tried research as a slump buster it's working for me i just thought i'd uh put it out there
0: that is a really good point um you know researching and thinking about our lunar new year episode that's really giving me some focus um and it's funny and this is the one you know what are we reading now is the one section of the podcast that i never struggle with because i'm always reading something and yet I was like, okay, well, this, this this, is, wow, am I reading anything? Um, So I was kind of struggling with that yesterday. I was reading back over my notes. And then last night I was up late. Everybody else was asleep. And I was looking for something else in Libby. um, And I noticed that Multnomah County Libraries, uh, their Everybody Reads program, um, the book was available to check out in Libby and there's no wait list. And that is The Book of Delights by Ross Gay. Uh, I checked it out right then and I read about a quarter of it. I stayed up until almost 1 am. Um, it's about a hundred or so little tiny essays, which he calls essayettes, which I think is a really cute term. Um, I haven't yet encountered one that's more than like five pages long. So this book has slumpbuster written all over.
1: <laughs> you know, um, the, the book of Delights by Ross Gay was recently featured on an episode of This American Life. I believe the theme was delight and what brings us joy. And I borrowed it through Cloud Library. So I really need to read it.
0: I think you're gonna love it. I'm really excited to talk to you about it. Um, you know, and I was also thinking while I was reading, I was thinking this would be so perfect for anyone who loves um, Brian Doyle's essays. I think mm-hmm. he, um, they share those two authors share just a sort of, uh, you know, um, expansive fondness for language. Like Brian Doyle never uses one adjective when he could use five. Um, and you know, like the run on sentences and the whatever. and and I so if you love that sort of um, those those rivers and streams and lakes of words, uh, that yeah. came out of Brian Doyle's pen. Um, you will also, I think, really love um, roske's work and just the sort of um, wonder in in the ordinary. Um, one of the essays is about a praying mantis on a on a on an empty water glass uh, at a restaurant, and just like watching what the praying mantis is doing and how it's, you know. It, it sort of like turns its head and looks when a lady in a flowered dress walks by. And I, I don't know. I just, I, 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 I could totally see Roske and Brian Doyle sitting down, um, like just sitting down and <laughs> just like talking about praying mantises and basketball for hours. Anyway, uh, love, loving that. It's really, it's really good so far. um You know, so then that, you know, that's that's the everybody reads book for Multnomah County. So then that reminded me like, oh my gosh, it's actually February. It's like us we go reads month. Um, like I my mother in law who lives in Phoenix is reading cast. I got it like I'm not gonna get it on the gotta get on the hold list here because it's February, the events have begun. I wanna, you know, tune into a lot of those. And then Multnomah County had it available to borrow immediately. So I read a bunch of that. I I'm uh, I'm kind of tired this morning because I said really <laughs> And then this morning I got a NetGalley notification that I'd been approved for an ARC of the new upcoming Alyssa Cole, How to Find a Princess. So I started
1: that. Oh, I can't wait to hear your review of Alyssa Cole's latest. But like all of those sound like fans, like just in terms of like, I think of February Black History Month, but also Ella Reed's month. And we're talking about cast, like those are fantastic, you know, not least cast. Those are fantastic Titles to celebrate, like Oswego Reads. And of course, you know, uh, this year all events are done online. And so far, so good, I hear. Anyway, but yeah, you got some good titles and some good authors queued up.
0: You know, last week we talked about ways to sort of yank yourself out of a slump. Sometimes the universe just comes through for you and yanks you out of the slump with very little effort on your part. So. <laughs> <laughs> which feels like the opposite of retrograde. If I understand retrograde.
1: <laughs> well, let's, you know what the universe has got your back. Let's hear it for the universe. Woo, the universe. Oh, thank
0: you. Universe. Okay. We haven't done, we are coming up on time here, but we haven't done crossover corner in a couple of weeks. So I have been wanting to talk about a crossover. Um, and I'll just try to keep it short, which is going to be tough because I love this series so much. Um, I've been thinking about this one lately because I have, uh, uh, thanks to a very generous uh, bookshop.org gift card from uh, from Grandpa Mike and Sue. Thanks, guys. Um, I uh, have decided to use that on just gathering into my own collection um, some of some books that I just have loved for a really long time. Um, and so I decided to start my own collection of A Bride Story, which is an ongoing historical romance manga um, by Kaoru Mori, um, who is one of the most famous manga artists in the world. Um, she's really well known for her Emma series, which is kind of a it's kind of an upstairs downstairs story about a um, housemaid in Victorian England falls for a wealthy young man. Um, I like that one a lot, too. That was really fun to read. Um, a bride story, though, I think is just in a class by itself. Uh, it's set in Central Asia among nomadic tribes along the Silk Road in ni- in the nineteenth century. Um, it's primarily focused on the lives of women. The illustrations are—I cannot describe to you the level of detail and beauty that is, I and mean, just the textiles that she depicts in in these in these drawings. And, and this is, um, the covers are in color, but the the manga itself is in black and white. And it is like, you don't miss the color at all because her illustrations are just so magical. Um, uh, reading it is just a, a wonderful sort of transportive, transport, it transports you. It's one of those experiences that transports you. Uh, so, and there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of uh, different characters um, that you know, sort of get their uh, you know get their time to shine in various, um, in various volumes. It's 12, 12 volumes ongoing. Um, the main character that people were introduced to at the very beginning in the very first book are um, Amir, who is a young woman who's in an arranged political marriage with Karluk, who is the son of another tribe. It's not a love match, uh, cause he's like 11 or 12 and she's about 20 and he's about a foot shorter than she is. So she takes on, it's really interesting though. She takes on this sort of older sisterly role, um, not only with him, but with their family. And you get to watch him try to grow into his responsibilities, you know, not only as a leader in the community, but also as a husband. Um, so Amir, for example, is a really talented archer and a hunter um and and horseback rider and she's just like she's so good at all this stuff and Carlo has to come to terms with the fact that his bride you know he feels all this cultural and societal pressure to you know to sort of man up and and care for her but she can beat him at just about anything <laughs> and not no wonder because you know not only is she just an extremely talented um, an intelligent young woman but she's also like almost a decade older than me <laughs> so it's no wonder the poor kid um you know in the other volumes you get to know other young women um most of them but you know not all but most of them end up in their own sort of bride stories so so it is the story of this specific bride but it is also the story of many other brides i would dare anyone even a manga skeptic to just try volume one and not want to continue mm-hmm. it's so brilliant
1: um dare accepted Uh, no uh my experience with graphic novels let alone manga is pretty slim so i the way you've described it i definitely want to check this series out
0: well link has them all and of course once i have them uh, as i as i slowly collect them you can borrow them from me
1: (laughs) thank you (laughs) i just put book one on hold Yay!
0: (laughs) and you know that's there's another reading slump buster like nothing like a really great manga or a comic to knock out a slump like it's that's another one of my tricks and i should have talked about it last week because it never fails um i also uh oh i also recently read fangs by sarah anderson which i think also belongs in crossover corner um real charmer took me all of 20 minutes to read uh just cover to cover and it was it was just enough it's one of those things where sometimes you just need to be reminded that books and reading are still a thing
1: <laughs> hmm. another wreck i like Indeed. it yeah it's
0: about a vampire and a werewolf who fall in love and it's got all these like terrible puns and awesomely bad jokes um you know vampire jokes werewolf jokes uh, we do not have a punny romance title to offer this week um so in the absence of that i just recommend reading that book
1: <laughs> perfect love it all oh,
0: right we just crossed the one hour mark so my dear I think it is time to wind this one up listeners we'd love to hear from you as always did you watch Bridgerton will you keep watching Bridgerton were you as upset and disappointed as we were are you reading cast or participating in any LO reads events do you have any favorite manga or comics or any you know, tips and tricks for getting out of a reading slump, um, also tell us, because I have gotten, I, you know, my, my family listens to the podcast, um, but I don't always get a lot of specific, like, oh, hey, I really related to this particular, um, this particular piece, but several people contacted me and said, you know, that thing where you have, uh, you know a, a a certain number of pages or a certain percent that you have to read like I do that too but here's how I do it it was so
1: interesting wow my
0: mother-in-law, my mother-in-law Rita uh told me that she will you know if she has a book that's 380 pages she will divide by 10 um and she will try to read in chunks of 38 pages um and then she was like you didn't tell me that cast is 906 pages <laughs> And let me, before anybody gets too freaked out, let me just say that that is, she's reading it in Libby. You know, if you were to pick up the print book, it is under 500 pages, I promise. (laughs) Anyway, so if you have a quirk, a sort of page number quirk, um, then tell us about that too. I find this stuff fascinating. You can find our emails on the Bookish Affair page on LOPL.org. You can comment on an LOPL social media post. Or you can find us on our bookstagrams at the 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 Nitterly Bookworm—that's you—and Shandy B Reads—that's me.
1: <laughs> and if you're interested in joining any of the Lake Oswego Lake Oswego Reads events, or maybe you want to join us for our Valentine's Day book discussion uh, of *Snapped* by Alexa Martin. Uh, Let us know. We'd love to have you. And all of that information can be found on our show notes as well.
0: We would love to see you at any and all of those events. And until next week, we wish you well. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Double up the masks. Double up the mask. Oh, my gosh. Double masking. I just did it for the first time the other day. It is. I mean, I know it's important but it is not comfortable.
1: No, it's not comfortable, which is why, again, I think uh, I just will continue my mole lifestyle at home. I know there's there's
0: a lot to be said for just staying in your house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, folks, we will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening.
1: (laughs) Cheers. (laughs)
2: cast had the help of a few awesome books. We are grateful to Allison Arnold and Anya Woodhouse for being our Rocks and our Champions and for taking care of everyone in the library. Rick Lyons for giving us this crazy idea in the first place and making us believe we could do it. Krista Barrett for being a national treasure. Chris Myers for Good Trouble. Kira Taylor for cheerfully acquiring just about anything we ask her to. Noelle Allison, Amy Grimes, and Todd Mecklen for answering all of our emails and making us look good on social media. Special thanks to Noelle, Jill, and Steve for always listening to the end. More... More special thanks to... Thanks to Allison Staley and Andrea Milano for their assistance in in researching this week's episode. We've said it before and will say it again. Youth librarians will save the world. Much gratitude also goes to Alison Arnold and Melissa Kelly for supporting us and giving us the freedom talk about difficult topics. <clears throat> Everyone at LPL has provided so much encouragement and support. Evie is our biggest cheerleader. We hope all podcasters have a super fan like her. Claire D does our credits and corrections. Thanks to Justin and Joe are very own romance heroes we could write a thousand what? essay S-A-S. About how delightful you are. That was my mom in the background. Say hi, tell them what you're making. Hi,
0: I'm Tim making pancakes.
2: They're really yummy. Mm-hmm. And, and are going on. Uh, and thanks most of all to our book club members and podcast listeners for, who keep us inspired and always searching for the next happily ever after. Eu não